scripture today comes from Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning. These words that were just read to us are so strong, right? These are some potent, powerful, um, intimidating even words from Jesus. Um, they are also um, kind of fairly well-known uh, words from Jesus. And so um, as we always kind of talk about when we come to Scripture that has either some familiarity to it um, or even some um, kind of confusion to it or whatever. We just really want to dig in, ask the Spirit for help, um, and, and just trust that God um, will show us what is real and what is true and what is beautiful in His words. And so, um, we, uh, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a doozy here to, to walk in today. And if you haven't been with us lately, we've been walking through Luke, um, particularly looking at the sections of Luke that are unique to his gospel. And so these are uh, passages and stories and teachings that only Luke records, uh, that Matthew or Mark uh, or John do not record. And so um, we come upon uh, this saying, these sayings from Jesus about the cost of discipleship um, that, uh, that Luke gives us. And so there's some stuff in here that isn't what we think it is, and then there's also some stuff in here that is something that we have not yet considered. Um, and so I just hope that uh, we can hold on for the ride and, and trust the Lord to, to walk us faithfully through this, uh, to help us see the grace and the truth of it. And in the midst of, of these tough words, one thing I love about what God has done here among us is that he's enabled us to, uh, to, to really kind of shed off just um, the, uh, you know, kind of the religion that would say, well, you know, you, you, you don't really ask, you just keep trucking, you know, like kind of that, that just blind faith type of uh, belief. Um, we absolutely believe in faith, um, but we also believe in wisdom and reason and uh, in God's ability to take the scriptures and help us really uh, see them rightly in our minds so that we might pull them rightly into our hearts. And so, again, that's something we have to do with this passage. Um, often, we have to do that with the words of Jesus because they can sometimes be very confusing uh, because of the, the words that he uses and, and some of the ways that he says things. So uh, to do that right, we have to kind of look at the context. We have to look at what's going on. Uh, we have to look at what Jesus is saying, and we have to look at where Jesus is going. Um, when we get all that stuff in view, then for Jesus to say you have to hate your mom and your dad, 
and even your own life, um, it, it makes sense. It, it really begins to resonate. And not just turn into something true, but something beautiful, um, which I think is always the case with Scripture. Uh, even though at face value it might not seem beautiful uh, when we allow our defenses to fall and let it seep into our hearts, it really does turn beautiful. So I'm going to pray and ask for a lot of help. Uh, we both, all of us, we both. There's only two of us here this morning. We all need it. Uh, but I'm going to read this passage again first, and then, uh, and then we'll pray. So here it is, uh, Luke 14, 25 and following. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we don't want um, an opening and closing prayer just to be traditions. Uh, we genuinely come this morning uh, with... Uh, a request um, with a heartfelt, sincere desire um, to know what you're saying. Um, we, we need to know. We need to know because the, the words of Jesus, uh, the very word of God, uh, is as bread to our starving souls. Um, and it's Sunday, either the ending or the beginning of a week, depending on how we look at it. Uh, in one way or another, we have been or will be bombarded with messages that are not true, um, or messages that are half true. And so we come this morning trusting that, Jesus, you are all truth. And in that truth, there is grace and love and ultimate hope. Um, and so that's why we are desperate. We're desperate to know what you're saying. We're desperate to shed off the uh, folk religion of our American Christian contemporary age and, and, and to pull into our lives um, the real substance of discipleship, the real substance of being followers of Jesus, the one who walked the hardest road, not just to Jerusalem, but to Golgotha and the cross, because it was God's will, not because it was fun. And so may we, in these moments, be um, just aided greatly by your spirit to uh, press in, to understand, to work through um, this important passage um, I stand as desperate, if not more desperate, for your spirit's help than everyone else in this place. Um, I am prone to error as I read and teach, and so I need your corrective work. Um, so, Spirit, close my mouth in those places that are wrong, and open my mouth to speak your truth. 
Uh, we love you. We need you. We recognize that. We're humbled by the fact that your truth is uh, the greatest authority in our life, and yet we still are prone to reject it. So help us today to open our hearts uh, by your spirit, open our minds that we might really see uh, the beauty, the glory of the gospel, and the fullness of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So like any good teenager, uh, especially teenage boy, um, I was an idiot. Um, some of you are like, was? But um And um, like any good dad who had three sons, uh, my father also understood the idiocy of boys, but entertained it in many, many ways. And so he graciously worked very hard to give us fun things. Uh, one of the most fun things in my childhood was a five-horsepower go-kart that was an open-framed, open-wheeled, just awesome machine, right? So we, we, we began as younger kids running this go-kart in a trail around our yard that we had carved out through the woods. No, I did not live in Pinellas County. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of where it began, and, and, and it eventually it evolved to uh, a lap around our driveway. So we had this circular driveway. Um, you came into my neighborhood. Uh, it was at the end of a long road that went past a bunch of farms, and our neighborhood was this big circle, and it was about a half mile in, um, in total distance, and there were houses on the inside of the circle and on the outside. So it wasn't a cul-de-sac. It was just a neighborhood. It was self-encompassed. It was very unique. And our house was right in the middle of where that road started and stopped. So it was kind of like in a fork of the road, although it was the same road, so it wasn't really a fork. Um, you could always tell when people didn't know what they were doing. They came to the edge, and they were like, left or right, left or right. Oh, God, what am I going to do? I'm going to get lost. I'll go right. And then like six minutes later, you found them back in the same place. And they're like, what's going on? Um, so our driveway did this circle, and so we would do this circle. And... Uh, we'd have to watch for traffic and pay attention, but most of the time there wasn't a whole lot of traffic in our neighborhood, so we had fun. And then eventually we kind of evolved where Dad was like, okay, you can, you can go down the driveway and around the circle and then up the road so long as you're still in eye shot of the house and then pull a U.E. and come back and go up the road the other way, pull a U.E. and come back or whatever. And so we just enjoyed this go-kart. It was fun. Most of the time we ran it under supervision. We got a little bit older and we ran it on our own. And so one day, and I don't remember if this was summer, if it was after school or what it was, but I decided in my genius mind um, that I was going to take the full half-mile lap around the neighborhood, something that nobody had ever done, nobody was ever allowed to do, um, and that was absolutely forbidden by father and mother and police and everyone in the neighborhood who knew the Phillips boys and the go-kart, right? Um, and so without thinking, without thinking of what it was going to cost or what I could possibly run into in the midst of it, uh, knowing, okay, well, dad's not here, so it doesn't matter. Here I go. Uh, I hopped on the go-kart, ran it around the circle, and halfway across the circle, who do I run into but my older brother, who's over at his friend's house. I did not know. They're hanging out outside, and I get caught smack in the middle halfway, not realizing, oh my gosh. I didn't even think about the brother on the other side of the neighborhood, and boy, was I toast, right? I got a good lick in, didn't ride the go-kart for a good long time, and was at the, uh, at the chagrin of my brothers, definitely, because I ruined go-kart usage for a good amount of time uh, because of my idiocy. Um, and so I, I, I didn't quite think through the entire lap, right? 
I did not think through the fact that I cannot see things right now at the beginning of this lap that are there on the other side or halfway around, and so I better reconsider this journey that I'm about to take, right? And in some way, not exactly like go-kart riding, but in some way Jesus takes this journey of discipleship for this crowd that he's addressing, and he says to them, this is a full lap journey that I want you to take, and I want to put before you the reality of the entire lap. I want you to see the full circuit, because there's a lot on this side of the track that you cannot see on the other side of the track. And so before you begin, before you think, oh yeah, I can jump on this thing and take a lap, I want you to gauge deeply and consider realistically what is it going to take to run this race, right? What is it going to take to go all the way? That's what Jesus wants to bring to this crowd. And the end game is it's going to take the same thing that it took for Jesus to bring you salvation. It's going to take everything, right? But lest we be mistaken, Jesus is not here saying, you've got to do these things and be really good and then I'll save you, right? Jesus is saying, these are the true markers of someone who has me in their life and is genuinely following me, right? We have to watch that, right? Because our religion tends to lead us to say, okay, I've got to build a big tower for Jesus. That's what this passage is about. I have to, in my strength, with my resources, all the things that I have in myself because I'm so cool, right? I have to, by myself, build a tower and then Jesus will take me, right? Or we start to think, well, I have to be able to go win a war. I have to have the strength. I have to have the tenacity. I have to have the good plan to be able to win a war and then I'll belong to Jesus, Right? We have to back out of that. That is not what Jesus is saying. Okay? What Jesus is saying is a true disciple is this. One who considers me above everything. And who finishes the race through whatever comes that I will for them. Not what they will for themselves. Okay? So let's just journey through this and see how he goes about it. So in verse 25... He says, Luke says, the great crowds are accompanying him, and he turned, Jesus turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so we, we, we've talked about this a little bit the last few weeks, that Jesus has begun his journey toward Jerusalem, right? He started his ministry in Galilee, um, he was near some of the places that he kind of called home, uh, Capernaum, Nazareth, some of these villages um, up around uh, where he grew up. And at some point in his ministry and his life, he makes a decided change and starts to head toward Jerusalem. And when he does that, he sends some people out ahead of him as kind of... Um, you know, like the welcome committee, they go village to village and village, and they say, hey, the kingdom of God is coming, and then Jesus shows up at that village, and then Jesus teaches, right? And then as he's doing that, the crowd's growing, okay? There's, there's a swelling group of people. In Galilee, there were often thousands sitting on hills or beside the, the, the lake to, to hear him teach, right? He's healing people 
on this journey. He's proclaiming truth to these people. There's an attractiveness to what's going on with Jesus. And so we know that along this journey, the crowd is, is kind of growing. Um, just previous to this, Jesus is at a, a meal uh, and, and, and in the process of being at this meal, he kind of corrects some people's false ideas about what he's trying to do, right? And he's, he's doing that little by little along the way. And there's a, one really funny interaction while he's having this, this meal right before this, uh, this teaching here. Somebody just says, blessed is everyone who gets to eat in the kingdom of God. Just this real blanket religious happy statement that this person sitting next to Jesus at dinner says and Jesus kind of goes into the story to try to help that person understand it <laughs> listen this is so much more than just this flippant little religious thing right this is a, a total kingdom reversal that I'm doing here um, and, and tries to help the crowds understand that and so in one way what Jesus is doing with the things that he's saying here in this passage is shock factor okay we have to recognize that Jesus is going for the gut here in a gracious and in true way, Jesus is saying, hey guys, you need to know what this is really about. I want you to understand where I'm really going. And I want you to know that if you're following me, you're going there too. Right? And so that's why he pulls out this language. And he says, if you don't hate your mother, your father, even your children, even your own life, then, then you, you can't be my disciple." Right? For one thing, he's not actually telling us to hate people. Okay, How do we know that? Well, one thing is the language that he's using, and, and a lot of people touch on this. James Edwards is one of them. He says, hate should not be understood in terms of emotion or malice, but rather in its Hebraic sense, signifying the thing rejected in a choice between two important claims. Okay, So in, in a Hebrew literary sense, with the Hebrew language, and you see this in the Old Testament, and it causes some confusion. Jacob I've loved, Esau I hated. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's in the Old Testament talking about God and his choice of Jacob over Esau. Did, did God hate Esau? No, Esau was chosen, or Jacob was chosen over Esau, right? There's a, there's a comparative situation going on there. And so similarly, Jesus is using this phrase uh, to help us understand that there are, there are different claims in our life, there are different claims on our life. There are different claims of authority and responsibility, different claims of, of, of loyalty. And Jesus says, if, if I'm not the highest of all those claims, then you're not really following me. If I don't have the final voice, right? If I don't hold the ultimate authority, if I am not truly capital L Lord, if I am not ultimately the one who is to be followed and to be obeyed and to be listened to, th then you're not actually following me, right? And this is, like, this is a tremendously true and gracious statement for Jesus to pull kind of the rug out from under us and to help us understand, listen, I can't fool Jesus. And it's pretty silly of me to try to fool myself, to just walk past all of these commands in Scripture and to just flippantly treat them as decent advice while all the while treating other people in my life as more authoritative than Jesus, even including myself, right? Which, let's be honest, most of the time that's really the problem and the issue. And so Jesus is clarifying for this great crowd, hey guys, I want you to understand what you're really following here. You're following one 
who is building a kingdom that is greater than this world and even other than this world. And because of his authority and because of his power and because of his dominion and because of his lordship, he demands everything. And that is a gracious demand because it is a demand of one who can only and fully give life. And so this is really about loyalty and allegiance and authority and love. Love in an active sense, right? And so we have to ask ourselves tough things, right? Like if your brother says, why, why would you give that much money to a church? What are they going to do with it? You need to save. You need to be wise with your money. You want a good retirement, don't you? And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who are you going to follow? Jesus says it's all his. Jesus says, this is what you are to do, generously and sacrificially with your funds. You are not supposed to terminate all of your bank account decisions on yourself. You ought to see a greater cause and a greater purpose. Right? If your spouse says, why are you spending so much time with your nose in that Bible? Right? Why do we need to prioritize the church so much? Why, why do we have to just be so involved? <laughs> why do you need to... to to read and to understand so much. I mean, you're kind of getting too serious here. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread and bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Who do you follow? Right? If your parents say, sure, move in with your girlfriend. You guys love each other anyway. It will save you money in the long run. And Jesus says to be the husband of one wife and to give yourself sexually only to the one that you marry. Who are you going to follow? There's a loyalty issue that Jesus is after here. And ultimately, he gets to the point, if you don't hate even your own life, right? What about what you say? What happens when your own ideas and your own plans and your own desires come against those of Jesus? What do you do then? Right? That's why verse 27 is in here. Who does not, he who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Right? Again, we need to reiterate that this is not an earning statement. This is not Jesus saying, go get that thing, and then I'll save you. Okay, go grab that cross, and then I'll save you. Jesus is saying, following the one who has saved you includes the carrying of a cross. Okay, and make no mistake about it, this audience knew what a cross meant. Okay, they didn't look, pull a chain out of their neck and look at jewelry. Because okay? a cross was not an attractive idea to put on the end of a gold chain to them. Okay? A cross was a torture device. To see somebody dragging a wooden beam through the streets heading toward a hill meant that person is about to die. That person is about to lose their life. And so Jesus here is introducing the path of suffering to his people. He's introducing the idea of the denial of self in order to follow after the will of God, right? And so often we have to look into our own ideas about life. When I have my plan for my career and my trajectory and it butts up against the will of God, what do I do? Do I fight and kick and scream and resist or do I give in? There's difficult things that we come up against when we consider what is it that I think I want and what is it that God is leading me to want 
What is it he is desiring of me? Often cross-bearing is not our plan for life, right? Cross-bearing isn't something you sit down and kind of at the beginning of the year when you're like, all right, 2019 is going to look like this, right? It's going to look like a little bit more business success. It's going to look like a bit more savings. It's going to look like, oh, that vacation is going to be awesome. These are not bad things, right? But where on the list do we consider suffering and bearing of crosses, right? We, we generally are moving toward finding the, the, the good and the best and, and the, the most exciting things to pursue, all while having no idea what's coming, no idea what it is that the Lord is truly going to end up leading us to. Often, cross-bearing just doesn't look sweet. It doesn't look attractive. We find regularly that the plans of God that are laid out before us can be something that we really don't want. Something that we would rather avoid. Whether it's through God's word or through just simply circumstance and events or through the wise counsel of other people in your life, right? Sometimes God will bring to you direction for your life and you will go, but I don't want that. I'd rather skip that. That doesn't make me look good. Can I, can I do the other thing instead? If I, if I, listen, if I just keep going down this path, Jesus, then I'll become somebody. And if I can become somebody, that's good for you, Jesus, don't you think? I'd, I'd rather not go down this path, which is leading me to be nobody. I mean, what good is that for you, Jesus, if I'm a nobody? We say to the one who died, right? This is a difficult journey. And look, you're not alone in this journey, because you, you remember Gethsemane? You remember Jesus? So we're, we're, we're heading there here in Luke, right? You remember Jesus before he dies? He has a last meal with the disciples and he goes into the garden and he tells his disciples, hey, I've got to pray. Will you, will you pray with me? And we know what's coming. Judas and, and, and a band of, of soldiers are coming to take Jesus away to trial and ultimately to his death. And what does he pray? He says, God, I don't want to. He says, Father, I know your will and I don't like it. I don't like it. It's pain. It's rejection, it's abandonment, it's sorrow. I don't want to. Right? This is often cross-bearing for us as disciples of Jesus. We come up to his word, we hear the counsel from friends, situations befall our lives, and we say, God, I don't want this. Right? Retrospectively, looking at my parents' life, right? 2017, looking forward to it, did not include the idea of dad getting cancer and then dying. That wasn't on the plan, right? And I think through just the emotional turmoil of them facing that together and talking with me through it and just saying, we don't like this. It's not what we want, but it's what we've got. It's what, by his ultimate wisdom and because of his hands and his charge of everything, it's what the Lord has given us. And my parents adopted this phrase that was written in uh, uh, a book by Jerry Bridges um, called, I think, Where is God When Life Hurts or something like that. They adopted this phrase that all things are for our good and for God's glory. And they just kept building that phrase into their life. 
that going through this is ultimately for God's glory. We don't know the end of it. We don't even like it. But we know if it's here, that it's ultimately for God's glory. And surrendered to that difficult thing and willingly laid down their lives. Like Jesus finally and ultimately did in Gethsemane. But it, we've got to understand there's, there's often a battle of desire. That taking our cross means to deny self. It means to say, I'm not ultimately in charge. I'm not ultimately the one who gets to decide the destiny and the location and the whatever of my life. God has decided that. And to follow Jesus is to say, I'm yours and I'm going to struggle through the process of trusting you. And in the end, I trust you that you're enough and that you will lead me and that you will help me and that this will be ultimately for your glory, God. Ultimately for your glory. And so when Jesus leads us by the hand towards something that looks a lot like death to us, we are often faced with the decision, do we follow Jesus and die to what we know? Or do we walk away from Jesus and keep living the way we want to? Right? Now, I don't, I don't want this to be like a terrifying thing. I don't want this to be like, a, oh my gosh, what if I mess up that decision? What if I miss that thing? Right? Am I, what, 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 what then? What if I choose the wrong road? What if I'm too blind and I, and, I, and I don't quite see? What if, you know, what if I don't see the signs? What if I don't catch the markers along the way? And, and, and it just, like, this is not a pressured, you better get it right or you're not a follower of Jesus type of a thing, okay? This is a release to say, I don't get to determine all of the things that will happen for me. And I'm okay with that. And though sometimes there may be struggle, I will... I will reside finally in the place of trust. I will reside ultimately in the place where I know that God is with me even when I go through these things. Because, and I believe Jesus is so faithful to work to make these, especially if they're severe, to make them obvious to us to help us see that there's a clear direction by his scripture that he's calling us in obedience to, even if it means death to us, right? And so, th I mean, there's love your neighbor, there's live generously sacrificially, there's, uh, you know, if people steal your coat, give them your jacket. I mean, you know, there's, there's very clear moral commands in scripture that, that God's going to keep putting out there for you to, to follow. And keep putting before you the, the opportunity and the decisions to say, yes, I will trust Jesus. Your way is better than my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop self-promotion and I'm going to adopt service of others. Right? I'm going to let go of the desire to, to orchestrate and architect my own life. And I'm going to begin to trust that you are steering everything in my life. And in some cases, it's going to be an inescapable and undeniable situation. And you're going to wonder why. And like Jesus, you'll be in Gethsemane. You, you just, I don't like it, Jesus. I don't want it, Jesus. But he will strengthen you and enable you to get through it. 
and he will lead you to this great place which is ultimately trust. Trust that whatever befalls, whatever it is that comes our way, that we determine now as we look ahead that we're going to be the kind of people that trust Jesus because we can't see the other side yet. We can't see where this thing is totally going for us. And listen, on average, we're really young and really hopeful as a church, right? With a lot of great ahead of us. And that's absolutely true, right? But if we recognize the reality of life, we must also admit there's a lot of not good ahead of us. There's a lot of severe trial ahead of us. And it's the decision today to say, I'm not in this with you, Jesus, to make it a, 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 just this smooth, peachy little ride, right? That's not why I came here, Jesus. I'm not coming after you just because I think you're going to get me ease. I'm coming after you because there's no one else but you. I'm coming after you because you are true life and everything else is false. I'm coming after you because nothing in this world satisfies, but you do. I'm, I'm coming after you because there is no love that is greater than you. There is no place that I find this grace. There is no joy that is the depth of my soul. I'm coming after you because of you. And no matter what the road looks like, I'm deciding today, yeah, absolutely. You're worth it, Jesus, because you are everything. And so often cross-bearing isn't glamorous and attractive. Denying ourselves to follow one whom we cannot even see, it, it, it almost goes against everything in us. And that's why Jesus really wants to know, wants us to know that following him is going to be costly. He wants us to see before things happen that they will be difficult. They will be trying. And that's why he tells these parables. He talks about this one who is going to build a tower. And he makes it really personal. He says, for which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, right? Otherwise, if you start building and don't finish, you're going to look stupid, <laughs> basically, to everybody around you. And then he says, or what king going out to encounter another king will not sit down and first deliberate whether he's able with the force that he has to meet him, right? Jesus wants us to count the cost like you would count the cost if you were going to build a tower and like you would count the cost if you were going to war. Now, for some reason, and it might just be because of where I'm at in life, this, this part for me, these stories, these parables, were really hard for me to separate from a physical story into a spiritual analogy, right? Because these are parables. These are Jesus telling a, a, a story about something physical and real and in this world to awaken us to a deeper um, more um, uh, covering type of spiritual truth, right? A, a great umbrella of spiritual truth. And so I struggled again and again. I found myself thinking through natural and physical and practical applications here, not spiritual realities, right? And in doing this, I was missing the point of what Jesus was trying to do with these two parables because this, this isn't a lesson about entrepreneurship, Right? Jesus isn't teaching us a lesson here about choosing our battles. That's an improper application of this text. Jesus isn't trying to teach us about good decision-making here. Okay? Like, we can do that with this. We can be like, okay, yeah, if I make this decision about my house, I better, right? Like, 
Sure, that's great. Be wise. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. These are spiritual lessons. Mike McKinley says that Jesus is inviting his hearers to see a spiritual analogy in the pattern of foolish behavior in the world around them. And so in the first parable, the landowner needs to take stock to see if he can pay the price required to build a tower. And in the second parable, the king needs to be certain about whether he has what it takes to defeat the enemy or not. The matter at hand here is not starting, but finishing. Jesus is talking about finishing and thinking through thoroughly the the whole that is before us that we might consider truly if we will be finishing. And so the question we're faced with in light of these two brief parables is this. Do you have the resources and the commitment required to truly finish what we're starting? Is following Jesus a decision just like so many others in our fast-paced consumeristic lives where we're thinking, sure, I'll give this a try. Is all we're thinking about the start? Jesus wants to ask us. Is that all we're thinking about when we consider following Jesus? Or have we given it a thorough consideration and a thoughtful measure that is warranted? And listen, again, Jesus said these things to a great crowd that was already beginning to follow him. Jesus was fully aware of the possibility of the initial attraction to following him, right? What was he doing? Miracles, healing, spectacular things like none had ever seen before. There was an attraction to that, right? And just like every other generation under the sun, these people wanted a different quality of life. And they saw Jesus as a hopeful redeemer, as a Messiah, as a guy who was going to change their national history. He was going to change the narrative of their people. That's what they thought, right? So there was a lot of attractive, upfront, good ideas to what Jesus was saying. And just so in our time, Jesus is fully aware of the possibility of initial attraction to following him, right? And we've got to pay attention to our landscape here. After all, Jesus has been sold to many as the guaranteed ticket to healing, right? That's the word about him, guaranteed. Jesus has been billed as the one to offer you your best life now. I mean, we hear that he's the one who can lead us out of our meaninglessness and our struggle and our hardship into a victorious life. Jesus knows the temptation to co-opt the gospel with earthly-only good news, right? With good news that terminates in the dirt rather than good news that elevates to the skies. And so we, like, we've got to just see it for what it is. We've got to see the false claims for what they are. And Jesus graciously just kind of stops this crowd and says, just to make sure we're on the same page, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when it's good. I'm not talking about when you've got that ever so important momentum. 
I'm not talking about when you're young and it's going well for you. I'm not talking about when there's a crowd supporting your decision to follow Jesus. I'm not talking about when the sun is shining. I'm not talking about when there's no clouds. I'm not talking about when there's no trouble. I'm talking about the inevitable, and that is the crowds will wane, the support around you may die, the opposition will rise, sickness will come, hardship will follow, difficulty will be yours, ultimately, death is coming. He's just trying to paint the entire picture. It's crazy here. Jesus, Jesus is not after building a crowd. Right? Like these words, and he also does it in John, other places. When the crowd grows bigger, Jesus teaches really hard stuff. Because he's not just about garnering a giant crowd base. He's about drilling deep into the heart to find genuine followers. Because he's not interested in lying to you. Jesus never has been, he never will be interested in lying to you about false promises of a great earthly life. If that's what you're coming to Jesus to get, Jesus wants you to know ahead of time that's not a guarantee. Because one day down the road, if that's what you're after, there will be disappointment. And then what happens? Your middle finger goes up to him because screw you, you said, I was going to get this. And Jesus is saying, nope, never promised that. It's a hard truth, right? It's a strong truth but I want to look into why it's a glorious truth. Jesus says these things to us so that we might understand what it is that is our greatest possible treasure. Right, verse 33 is kind of the summary, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I love this. This is the message paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Chris Brossett, a pastor from L.A., says this, the reason that you have to be willing to lose everything is because what God is offering you is far greater than anything you can offer yourself. Kelly read this at the beginning of service, Mark 10, 29 to 31. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Right? Right? Jesus says there is a trade. There's a trade. You love this world or you love me. And if you love this world, this world will let you down. And I love you enough to tell you that a lot of what you want will let you down. A lot of what you've been promised will let you down. 
a lot of what this world is telling you and selling you and a lot of what you're believing in, it will let you down, right? That's the small print at the bottom of the advertisements. It does not last. It cannot satisfy. But if you give it all up for me, I'll tell you what, in, even in this life, you're going to get what you never even dreamed possible. Okay? Brothers, sisters, lands, those things. What is he talking about? He's talking about this new kingdom that he's building is a kingdom of grace and welcome and friendship and fellowship where doors will be opened to you by those who will love you, right? Where you'll have new brothers and new sisters, those who point you toward following after Jesus, not distract you from it. You'll even get things to replace the stuff that you leave, but don't miss it. There's going to be persecution tied up in all that, right? It may come and go, it may increase, decrease, maybe hard times, easy times. Persecutions will come. The greatest promise is that there is eternal life, the thing that can truly deliver. And so to follow Jesus means to, to drop the hope of ever being fully satisfied by anything in this world and to completely place our hope in the fullness of Jesus. Right? To follow Jesus means to look not just to material and earthly things to define ourselves and to create our identity, but to look only to God who can truly offer eternal security of our soul. To follow Jesus means to let go of our own controlling or manipulating self-determined path to greatness, however it is that we define that, and to accept the good plan of a sovereign God who rules over all and knows what he's doing with our life. Let go of that small thing in order to take hold of that, which is so much greater, right? And this is sometimes agonizing, but Jesus will faithfully lead you, and then Jesus will faithfully fulfill you. It's his promise. In the end, really, what Jesus is saying is nothing's off limits. It may be that he doesn't require it all from you. But you have to be willing to give it. You, you have to be. You have to be able to put it all on the table and say, your will. If, if you want it, I can't fight it. So my career, there it is. I got my idea, but Lord, steer it. Right? My money, there it is. I know what the world tells me I need to do with my percentages, but I'm going to believe you. Right? My body, there it is. My time, there it is. What, all the things that you've given me, my great personality, my gifts and strengths, they're, they're all right here. Whatever you want me to do, Jesus. If I'm to sell all, Go to Mongolia, I'm on it. Here we go. Mountains, here we come. Whatever, if I'm to move into that neighborhood, so be it. Lord, yes, I will go there as an ambassador for you, Jesus. If I'm to start this thing, if I'm to stop this thing, it's like whatever you want, Jesus. It's what he's trying to say. That's what a follower of Jesus says. Why? 
because that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. He said, it's, it's all yours, Father. It's all yours. I will go. <laughs> I will become vulnerable. I will build this band of rebels and I will see some of them despise me. <laughs> right? I, will, I will go to the people who are my own people and I will get, I will get beat up by them. Right? The, the eternal words of life that hold together the universe are in my mouth, and yet I will go and speak them, and people will shut their ears at me. Like, I'll, I'll go. That, because that's who we follow. Because he's going somewhere different than where we often think he's going. And so in the end, it's all about what is the greatest cause. Is it me and my little life and what I have planned, or is it him and his plan? Right? Because when the cause is great, we're willing to give all. And so really, I think that the ending point of this passage for us is not to stare at the cost. Right? Like if all we do is just stare at that tower we've got to build or that war we've got to go in, if we just look at the cross that we have to bear, I, I think we're doing the wrong thing. I think this passage should lead us to lift our eyes off of whatever the cost is up to the one who is the cause worthy of being followed and say, no one ever loved like you loved. No one was ever true like you are true. Nobody has ever held the glory that you hold. Nobody has, has ever given of themselves as great as you have given of yourself. Nobody has ever gone the distance the way you have gone the distance to, to terminate up, to get our eyes on Jesus so that we can absolutely behold his glory and say, yes, whatever you want, whatever you want, it's yours. That's our ultimate destination point. Because when we see the glory of Jesus and how far surpassing he is than anything that this all world will offer, we'll just open our hands right up, right? It might take some prayers of, I don't know if I want to, Jesus, but I'll trust you, right? Because sometimes we're there, man. Like, let's just be honest. Sometimes we're just, no. <laughs> I put all of the stuff out there, but not this one. I can't let go of this one. It means everything to me. Why are you asking me to get my hands off? You know? And he's faithful. He'll do it. He'll do it. I believe he will. And in the end, we'll see, man, the goodness of Jesus is worth it. If I can just know him, if I can just shake all this other distracting stuff, be a pauper if he's my companion. I don't care. David, the greatest king that Israel had ever said, he said, listen, God, I'll give up my throne and I'll hold the door. Be an usher so long as I can have your presence. Right? I mean, that's the heart. Jesus, I'll, I'll walk away from anything you ask me to. Because I will not walk away from you. I will not. 
That's his price. The greatest prize is Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are weak. We are slow to see. It is hard to let go. Sometimes this world seems so good. Help us. <laughs> Help us to sift through the noise, to sort out the weeds, to discern what is better, to see your clear calling in scripture to hear the words of the eternal one as he says come follow me I am better than everything else and God what's crazy in this is that in the midst of having to let go of so much you give so much to us you give so much joy and so much love and so much peace you're faithful to trust us often with, with more than we even need. You are so good, but God, help us to hold it all so loosely. And Lord, today, whether it's a, whether it's a, a, an amount of money or a relationship or, or choosing a certain path in life, or being defined by something that we're doing, whatever it is that you're graciously and kindly saying, daughter, son, just, just put it out on the table. God, would you give us courage like Jesus in the garden to pray honestly? God, I don't want to. And then... then to pray submissively, yet your will be done. Knowing that just like with Jesus, on the other side of death was resurrection and absolute glory, we know that the cost given today will pale in comparison to the glorious inheritance that is soon to be ours. God, help us keep that in mind because it is sometimes so invisible. <laughs> we can't touch it. We can't see it. We can't taste it. We can't feel it. But Lord, we know it's more true than all of the things that fade in this world. So give us courage. Give us hope. Give us help. We need you. And Lord, through our following through our cross-bearing, through us forsaking all to follow you, would you put on display your great glory for our neighbors and our friends and our family and our enemies in this world to see. Put the glory of the greatest cause ever on display through our lives. We ask this in Christ's name.